What's up guys, Zach Melton here with Dynamic Discs and you all are listening to the Chain Clinkers Podcast. You're listening to the Chain Clankers Podcast with your hosts, Quinn Ferris and Horatio Gonzalez. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Chain Clankers. Hello, what's going on everyone? We have another great episode for you guys. I am here with Quentin, like always. We got a chance to sit down today with Zach Melton. Really good conversation, but I will let Quentin here take it over and tell you guys what you can expect from this episode this week. I like the hello. I don't think we've heard that one before. I like the I like the hello entryway. Um Fun episode. Super fun episode. Zach was a great guy to talk to. Um, we talk about his disc golf journey as we like to do with everyone. And, uh, you know, just like everyone else, there is no no two disc golf stories are the same. Um, you know, this guy was getting booed literally at his third tournament. You're going to want to make sure you listen to how and why that happened. The story is unreal. Um, we also talk about the DDO and just kind of the meaning behind it and how the fans have really kind of changed the disc golf atmosphere right now as well as we do talk a little bit about his injury and a little bit of updates to that and kind of how that has affected his play and then something super fun that i didn't know apparently eric oakley is scared to play zach melton in pickleball so if you're listening to this right now tag eric and zach and us the chain clinkers on instagram put it on your story and say that eric is scared to play zach um, we would be very interested in seeing that match. I, I know I definitely would be interested in seeing it. Um, we also really talk about dialing in your accuracy. I think that's something that's super important. Zach does as well as that, you know, being an accurate disc golfer allows you to have better drives, make more putts, take strokes off your game. And that's what we want to do with this chain clinkers. We want to be able to take strokes off your game and improve your game. So we have a fantastic conversation about that. You're going to want to make sure you stay tuned through the end. Zach has an awesome answer during the ACE round that we have not heard yet. So you absolutely must stay until the end to hear that answer. And if you haven't already, make sure you hit that subscribe button. If you're watching on YouTube, a like rating is highly appreciated. If you're not listening on YouTube and maybe your Apple podcast over cast pocket cast i don't know if spotify does it or not but if you could leave us a rating and review we would highly appreciate that let us know what you like let us know what you don't like uh let us know what we can get better at and uh we'll take all that into consideration but without further ado i think we're ready to bring zach on so let's go ahead and let's get zach on the podcast zach welcome into the chain clankers podcast super excited to have you on today's show how are we doing today man dude i'm doing good how about you all we're good. We're good. We got to play around today. Did you get any any disc in today? No, no. I've uh, I've been chilling since I got home from DDO, so no frisbee for me yet. Yeah. Where's home for you? Uh, East Tennessee, Northeast Tennessee, Kingsport specifically. Okay. Um, nice. I was gonna say I I know I feel as though a lot of people know you as the guy with the Tennessee Volunteers uh, swag and or drip on the on the course as the kids are calling it today. <laughs> yeah i try i try to represent as much as i can that's for sure yeah has tennessee been home base for you for a long time that's that where you're from yeah born and raised nice. uh born and raised yeah I, I don't know like all my whole family's from here never really thought about moving away never really thought about going anywhere um used to think i was in a terrible place uh <laughs> for disc golf because you had to travel you know to go places but now i realize hey i'm actually in a great spot that's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. 
And I feel like it's a spot where you're not like, damn, I really have to drive completely coast to coast in order to get to a tournament. You're kind of sort of in the middle to where it's not too bad to go anywhere. Yeah, there's great golf in the, in the southeast for sure. Really good area. Awesome. So let's, let's go ahead and get started. Let's take it all the way back, you know, where, where Zach's story starts. Take us to the beginning, how you discovered disc golf. Okay, so the first time I ever heard it mentioned um, was by my older brother. Um, I, I'm, I've got a big family, family of, I got two older brothers, older sister, younger sisters, but I remember specifically uh, my older brother talking about it with my parents. I think I was like in middle school. I remember him talking about playing frisbee golf at the park, and I was like, "Dude, that sounds so nerdy." <laughs> like, who's who's going outside and throwing a frisbee and play? I got you know whatever. And then fast forward to after I graduate uh, high school, um, a good friend of mine who was a year older had been playing uh, when he went to college, and so that summer, you know, he invited me and another good buddy to go play, and like literally from the first time I went, I was like one thousand percent hooked like making something fly you know watching it and like dude i was hooked that's like all we did that summer Mm -hmm. um and then kind of kind of really didn't play for about a year or so and then the net the following summer picked it up again and then that's when i discovered like the local disc golf scene you know like um the local club like random draw doubles and like i've always played sports my whole life always competed and so finding an avenue where you can compete with disc golf. Cause like, I loved it, but then like, Oh wow, we can, we can do this. We can be competitive with it. And I was just, I was head over heels diving in, dude. I was all about it. Loved it. So if I'm hearing you correctly, you really didn't even start throwing a disc in the first place until you were in your college years. Uh, I was, yeah, the, 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 the summer that I graduated high school is the first time I ever threw a disc. I had thrown okay. a Frisbee, and I was like, wow, these are terrible to throw. <laughs> yeah. You know, growing up, no one, no one really knows how to throw a Frisbee, right? But, uh, yeah, it, so I was 18, and that was the first time I threw a disc, and, and I was hooked. And then real quick, about what age, probably I'm going to say, because you said you stopped a year and then kind of got back into it the year after mm-hmm. that. So probably around that 20, 21-ish mark is when you kind of really started to find that competitive avenue and kind of take it really seriously. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, at, at the time, those first few years, it was just like going out and throwing di- like discs with buddies, you know, and like we loved it. We played all the time. Like we have a, there was a little local beginner course here in Kingsport. Um, you know, we'd go play that like two, three, four times a day, you know, mm-hmm. and so we'd play all day. We loved it. But then when I found the competitive side, it was like, oh, wow, this is awesome. You know, and that's, that's when I really went after it, kind of started so playing that- more. So then you were like, yeah, I love this. I'm going to go on tour. Let's do it. Boom. Is that how it happened? <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> definitely not. Um, so I discovered tournaments and uh, it was 2009 was when I got my PDJ number. That was when I was like, okay, I'm playing a lot, right? But I really only played, I played four uh, PDJ events that year in amateur um, or in advanced. Like I never played in anything below advanced, just jumped into advanced um loved playing and then i thought i was playing a lot at the time but i wasn't playing like a lot of events really um and so you can kind of see it on my like pdj history it's like 2010 2011 like i gradually played a little more and a little more and a little more um and then i actually i think it was 2010 uh i first met will schuster 
Um, he's a fellow Tennessee boy. Um, met him at a local event. We, we hit it off. We were buddies and kind of kept in touch with Will over the years. And, um, like, I remember talking to him, I would say, like, around 2013, 2014. He was like, yo, man, if you ever want to play one of the big events – just fly out. I'll pick you up. You know, you're good. And, and that kind of stuck with me, you know, and I, I'd always, I hadn't really given it much thought like to touring, but, uh, always wanted to kind of like, man, it'd be fun to play a big one. Right. And I think 2015, um, that off season, I like, I just took a chance. I messaged Will. I was like, Hey man, I'd love to, if I, uh, you know, I'd like to go out and play a memorial, you know, and, and check out some of the big events. And, and he let me jump in the car with him. And that was like my first, taste of touring really was uh that 2015 season yeah so he was clearly someone who was really influential and important <laughs> in your disc golf journey um a quick question i had about that before we moved on um you talked about how you just jumped right into advance you didn't really you know intermediate or rag didn't really do any of that would you recommend that to people listening to this <laughs> who might be jumping into tournaments like do you think it would be a good idea to just challenge yourself and go right into advance or do you think people could should kind of take the opposite approach and start in rack, get a feel for it then kind of progressively move forward yeah, I think it kind of depends on your goals, really, or mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> like what you're shooting for. Sorry, I got choked up. No, you're choking good, them man. All, choking them all and spit over here. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I feel like it's kind of like your goals or kind of what you're shooting for. Like when I joined the PDJ, I'd already been playing disc golf for, for a few years. And like I, I'd already kind of become a good amateur in my local area. <clears throat> so when I joined the PDJ, I was like – I'm already one of the best AMs here. I'm just going to play advanced because that's like the highest amateur spot. Um, I kind of look at it both ways because I think it's important to learn how to win. Like I think you need to be in those situations where yeah. you're battling when it comes down to the end of the stretch and, and you, you need to learn how to win, which means you're going to lose. You know, you need to learn and go through that process. But I also think, you know, the one, the, the fastest way to get better is to play, go against people better than you. I, that was my entire life growing up playing basketball. Like I wanted to play against older guys. I wanted to play against guys that would basically embarrass me on the court. Cause like, that's the only way to get better. You don't get better. Just beating up on guys that you already know you're better than, you know, you're not pushing yourself. So I think that's like kind of like a two edged sword. Like you yeah. need that experience, but you also don't just like, Oh, I'm going to play 38 amateur events and win like half of them. Like, you know, yeah. That's that's very interesting because I know uh, Quentin experienced this a little bit. Um, and that's one thing with disc golf. You know, some people are able to uh, pick up the sport and get very good at it very quickly. And they do tournaments. And to them in their head, they're still a new player. So they're still learning. But to everyone else, they're kind of – they're really good. And yeah. Quentin, he played a tournament to where, you know, he – I think you won or you guys came, you came in like second or something like that. Yeah. And I had a throw off for a third and ended up picking it up. And people were upset about that. They're like, Oh, you, these two guys should not be in this division. You know, they should be in the next division. Up. Like, why are you guys playing even in this division? But to him, like he's only been playing for a year or so. So he's trying to get that confidence. He's trying to get that experience. And if he bumps up immediately, he's going to be in that bottom tier and all he's going to know, you know, if he is not at that level yet, like, I'm not ready for this. I'm not good enough. And instead of what you're talking about, building that confidence, building that, you know, being in those situations where, like, can I make this putt to win this? 
Yeah. And I think that's very interesting because you see that a lot in tournaments. Yeah. F- funny story. Um, I believe it was my third ever PDJ tournament. Um, I was playing advanced. That was in 2009 and it was in Blacksburg, Virginia. And so my first PDJ rating was 987. It was my home course. And then it was the first ever course I ever traveled to, to play. So I had played both of them a lot. Um, so I go to Blacksburg, Virginia to play in advanced and first round from the shorts, I tied the hot round for the pro lead. And dude, that's all I heard. This guy's 987 rated. Why is he playing? And this guy's a bagger. This guy's this and that. It's like literally my third ever tournament, you know? Yeah. Um, and I end up winning advanced by a lot. And like, I remember getting booed. <laughs> Because uh, they call it the winner. I just remember guys were so salty. And it's like, I had a buddy there. He was like, dude, this is third ever tournament. Like, and they're like, he's rated so high. It's like, you know, people just, you know, they, I feel like it's just always looked at like, oh, if you're doing well, then, then you're a bagger, you know, like kind of the same thing that he dealt with. Wow, that's crazy. Any, uh, I guess, like, I mean, I imagine you probably didn't care that they were saying, but someone who maybe potentially is like, ah, oh, well, I really don't want to hear that. Like any, any words of wisdom for like dealing with a situation like that? I mean, it, you know, it honestly doesn't matter what other people think. It really doesn't. You know, everybody, we're kind of conditioned to care or like we're self-conscious, but like it doesn't really matter. Like I was having fun throwing discs with my buddies. I wanted to go play a tournament, went and played it. It was kind of like, wow, why are they mad at me? But I also knew it was like my <laughs> third ever tournament. You know, it's like, and uh, I and I moved up to pro pretty quickly after that, but but still, you know, um, just don't worry about it. You know, yeah. haters haters gonna hate. It is a very weird, you know, especially with the amount of new players, the amount of people that come in and pick it up right away, and they don't know that they're gonna be good. And to them, like they don't feel comfortable playing with the guys that they've been playing for five six years. You can't blame them. You know, they have to figure it out. They have to figure out the rules. Just because you play good doesn't mean that you've figured out, like, disc golf. There's a lot of little rules, you know, a lot of small stuff that people that have been playing for five years know about that someone that's 987 or, you know, 990 rated doesn't know about because they're brand new. Yeah. I mean, what's, like, going back to, like, my experience, What what's to say they don't know the weekend before I played an advanced tournament, I averaged, like, 800 and got – you know dead last and then you just show up the next week and you play good like that's kind of that's pretty much disc golf you know there's like highs and lows so you really don't know i mean unless some guy's showing up and he's played his like 30th advanced tournament in a row and he's won like 28 of them then like (laughs) you know most of the time you just don't really don't really know what's going on yeah for sure so how long i guess you know you said you moved up to pro pretty quickly how long were you in the game taking it competitively seriously before you moved up to pro. I know you said in 2015, you started to go on kind of sort of a tour, maybe playing a couple of big tournaments every now and then I'm assuming that was in the pro division. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, Let's see. 2010 was the first year I played pro. Um, And then I would say from 2010 to like 2013 ish, like I played pro, but it was more regional stuff like in Tennessee, some Virginia, some North Carolina, like very close to home. Um, and then 2014 is when I started playing a lot more. Like I was pro, I wasn't touring, but I think I played like over 20 tournaments that year. Um, so I was really trying to get out there. Um, 
and play as much as I could and kind of get my rating up and, and, you know, just, just trying to play as much disc golf as I could. That's what I wanted to do. And, and then kind of towards the end of that year, seeing a semi successful year, I was like, man, I wonder, wonder what it'd be like to go play the one of the big ones, you know? And it just kind of took the the splash and just signed up for Memorial. I was like, Hey buddy, can I go with you? And he let me go. And the rest is kind of history from there. How did that turn tournament work out for you? How did that go? The Memorial in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure I got 13th. Okay. So it went well. Went yeah. well. I mean, I didn't know how it would go. I think we played um, – actually, I think I got 10th at Memorial and 13th at Vegas because that was when Vegas was at Sunset Hills mm. or Sunset Park before they started using Wild Horse. Um, so I had a good good start. Was there any moment like really early on that maybe made you question like the decision to go to more of these big time tournaments and almost made you be like, ah, you know, maybe, maybe this kind of pro level disc golf thing isn't for me. Um, my first world championships was actually 2012. It was in Charlotte. So it was very close. And I think at the time I hadn't even played an A tier, like I'd played B tiers. And then I was like, Oh dude, I'm gonna play worlds. It's close, you know? And, uh, dude, I got rocked. (laughs) I, uh, I was not ready for, for a major, major level courses and that competition. Like, um, I think I got, I don't want to get it wrong. I either got like 98th or like 101st. Like I tied Terry Miller overall. You can go look it up. It's very funny. Didn't know him at the time. And I actually played with Johnny V that tournament i remember so it was pretty cool but like um yeah man like i played those that tournament like i think one round out of the six was actually like a good round and the rest of them i just like pooped my pants dude it was so bad and i was just like man these courses are hard i don't know if i can do this yeah so break that down a little bit for us you know we're last year there was no worlds um this year i'm not sure if they've said anything yet but how does that breakdown as far as you know the dates and the courses how how did that go for you uh like the world championships this year yeah as far as just like the schedule how they break that down um i'm pretty sure it's a couple weeks after the um the second portland event you know how they have portland open and then it was supposed to be beaver state fling but it got canceled and now they're having the uh the other one um sorry i can't think of the name of it but I'm actually only playing Portland Open, and then I'm flying back home, going to rest for a week, and then make my way to Utah, which is where Worlds is this year. Um, it's two courses, and, you know, best-case scenario, you'd like to get at least a week early, a week there, uh, and try to get prepped for the courses. I've never played there. I know a lot of guys played, like, Utah Open in the past. Um, so I have not played it yet, but in theory, you know, hopefully getting getting there a week. Um, you know, my body – I've I can't really play or practice as much as I used to, like leading up to tournaments. I have uh, rheumatoid arthritis and uh, Lyme disease and it's just, and I'm older, I'm 33. So like, you know, travel days and and all that, it kind of takes a toll on your body. So I've kind of got to manage how much I play leading up to it and take rest days, which is hard for me because I like to go, go, go all the time, you know? So. And I'm going to take this moment to talk about a little bit about your injury coming into this season. Um, for those of who don't know, could you maybe explain a little bit what was going on with you um, prior to the season? Because if I'm correct, Waco was your first event this year, correct? 
Yes. Okay, correct. cool. So maybe just talk a little bit about that and how you're feeling now and getting to that preparation for Portland and, you know, the worlds and beyond. Um, okay, so last season, you know, we had uh, COVID happen. Season got canceled. It was gone. And I was actually playing a lot of golf at home at that time. And once the season, season started up, I don't really remember a specific tournament or, like, place where it happened, but I just noticed, like, more and more trouble for my right knee. Um, and then by the end of the season, it was just like, I'd have to take a day or two off before the tournament to play. Like it was just, if I would practice two or three days leading into a tournament, then play the three or four round tournament, dude, my knee looked like a softball and it was just, it just wasn't good. And so I finally went and got it looked at, went to the doctor, um, got an MRI and we got the results back that I had a meniscus tear, um, in my right knee. And so we kind of, um, kind of went down quick where, you know, we got in to see a surgeon. He said, Hey, you know, we can get you in really fast. We're going to go do it in an outpatient facility. We got you, let's get you fixed up. And this was in December. Um, and then a, uh, pretty much it just wasn't allowed to happen because of, because of COVID and everything. And so I had to wait till January. So it basically got pushed back like a month, um, which kind of had me worried about the timeline. Cause like, I really wanted to play Waco, which I'd never played before. Um, it's always conflicted with the Virginia team invitational VTI, which is big uh, team tournament on the East coast. I'll never miss it. It's like my favorite tournament ever, but uh, yeah, so I really wanted to be ready for Waco and play it. So having my surgery mid January, um, it was tough. I didn't know if I was going to be able to make it. So went to rehab and, and with my injury, he said, normally I wouldn't have to do rehab. Um, it's just kind of like chill and just let it, let it get back. But I told him basically I had a timeline. I wanted to be ready to play. And so went to physical therapy for, uh, two months, well, month and a half pretty much. And, and, uh, was given the okay to play at Waco, but, um, it's kind of, it's kind of like I'm good to play, but I also have to kind of manage it and not just go crazy and ham on it and just kind of re-injure it. So I'm good, but also have to kind of take it easy sort of. Do you find yourself having to kind of change your playing style or like how you attack a course because of the injury? Um, I wouldn't say I have to change the way I'm playing, but like, let's say uh, Waco, there's a week off in Texas States. Like basically I didn't go out for like extra practice until Jonesboro. Like I would get a round in maybe a half round after that, but like I wasn't able to go out and practice putt for a few hours. I wasn't able to go out and like get extra reps because I knew that if I overdid it on my knee, then I would have like, you know, some trouble off of it. So I was, I was wanting to play. I was trying to get like the minimum practice I could get in. And, and I knew, you know, coming back from the injury, like I wasn't going to be myself all the way yet, but I, I definitely wanted to play. So it's just been kind of dealing with being okay with like, I, I've had to tell myself no expectations, right? Just I'm able to play, which is great. That's what I want. And I know I'm not myself yet, but it's going to come. So having to deal with that. Any sort of, I guess, mental timeline for yourself to kind of get back to that hundred percent or just kind of trying to make sure you take it easy, prolong your career and uh, ensure you can play as long as you possibly want to. Um, mentally, I feel like it's going to be, probably towards the end of the season, you know, I think there's more mental block right now than physical block. Um, definitely was happening at Texas States. Like those first events, it was, 
it was like, I know I'm okay, but like, does my brain trust that I'm okay? You know? And like, there were, there were errors, there were miscues and that was just, that's just going to be part of it. But trying not to get discouraged and, you know, beat myself up or be too harsh on myself because I know that like, I'm not going to be clicking on all cylinders yet. So that's been the, that's been the biggest key right now is just kind of giving myself a little leeway, you know, like not, not being too harsh. So do you, knowing that, do you kind of pick the events that you go to differently or are you sticking to the same schedule that you normally would? Uh, My schedule is definitely a little different than most people um, or most of the touring guys. Like I don't stay on the road like 10 months straight. You know, I do a lot of extra driving where I go out on the road and then I come back home. I go out on the road and I come back home. Um, It's just, I don't know, man. It's just, I, I, kind of hit the refresh button when I come home, you know, see my family, see my wife, my kittens, like, you know, just my nephews go watch them play soccer or baseball or whatever, you know, like kind of enjoying life and then going back out and playing disc golf. So um, I am trying to make a few more of the bigger ones. I I would say usually I play like 70 to 80% of them. And I think this year I'm trying to just miss a couple pro tours. So I'm going to try to hit all those plus the NTs. Um, worlds which is in utah um you know trying to hit all the big ones though yeah for sure and i mean in our recent episode when we talked to ben calloway which was a fantastic episode if you haven't listened to it definitely go check it out ben has an incredible story we saw him on another couple of lead cards here at the ddo so if you haven't listened to it check it out you also learn some things about your your driving form and you'll be a better disc golfer afterwards but with that said, he mentioned the same thing about going home really hits that refresh button. Do you think that gives you any kind of an advantage? Like, do you see maybe a spike in performance or finishes after you have gone home and then go back out to the next tournament? I mean, I think it definitely helps me. I, I feel like when you're on the road, like all those other guys, your your road warriors, like I feel like it's easy for it to wear you down, you know, and get kind of – for the road, you know, to kind of beat you up, so to speak. Um, especially if you have a couple of rough tournaments in a row, you're just out there. All you're thinking about is playing disc golf and I've got to do better. And like, it's kind of nice to just take a break even for a week, go home, just not think about disc golf. Like go, if I play disc golf, man, I get to go out with my buddies and just mm-hmm. do a bunch of, bunch of trash talking fun, just casual rounds. And I mean, that's just, that's what it's about is having fun, you know, and enjoying it. So I think it definitely helps me a lot. Yeah, I know even for myself, you know, just a uh, casual, you know, rec player, I sometimes if it's busy or if the weather doesn't permit, I don't go out and play for a week or two. And then when I do actually go back and play, I feel like my game is better than I remembered it last time I went out. Like, I feel like my body, I don't know, missed it or whatever, and I play a lot better. So I feel like it's tough for those guys on the road to be, to feel like, they have to be consistently good. And when it's the thing that they're doing every single day to be at that level, you know, all the time, it must get pretty stressful. I'm sure. Yeah. I think it's really good to have like an outlet or something else that you can do on the side. Like I know a bunch of the guys like to go rock hounding, you know, just doing something different. Um, you know, me and some of my buddies, we play pickleball, uh, you know, we've, we've discovered that and started doing that. Um, I love to go shoot basketball. I used to play a lot, played my whole life. I can't really, don't really do want to do the all running up and down and, and playing, you know, thing anymore, but just shooting a basketball on a goal is like therapeutic. There's just something to it. So just finding those outlets where you can kind of 
just be stress-free is important. Now, on some other podcasts, I have heard about the pickleball community within disc golf right now and the pros. And I'm pretty sure I saw it on your story the other day, you, you and uh, Calvin playing some pickleball. So how would you rate yourself compared to the other guys on tour in like the pickleball power rankings? Are you the Dang. best pickleball guy out there? All right. So the people that I know play like, you know, me, Calvin, Chris, Eric, which Eric hasn't played this year yet. Like he's complaining he's about his elbow. He's scared. He's like, he's trying to blame it on some elbow. Like, Oh, if I come play pickleball, I'll hurt it. But he's out here throwing discs as hard as he can. So <laughs> give, give me a break, bro. Give me a break. But anyways, uh, you know, we, we got like Madison Walker to come out and play a uh, couple of the, the prodigy guys, Alden Harris and Ezra Robinson have been coming out and playing when we've played. So, um, yeah, I think if, if we're doing a rankings, like it's either me or Dickerson in the top spot, I think. We've been playing probably the longest. Calvin's not too far behind. Eric's not too far behind. Madison picked it up pretty good. And Alden Harris has picked it up pretty quick, too. Really? Yeah. Why is it like, because Calvin's from Florida, and then mm -hmm. Chris Dickerson is from where, I forget? Chris lives where I live. He's from here. East Tennessee. Yes. Yeah, so what's up with you, like, just south? southeastern guys just like running the pickleball scene <laughs> <laughs> i don't know maybe because we've been playing it the longest i don't know but we did play at ddo with uh dixon jowers who is a local emporia guy plays for dd um and he definitely uh wanted to lay the we me and chris have been talking smack to dixon for a couple of years now about pickleball and that was the first time we finally got to play with them and those guys play like league nights every week like they're good and so yeah. Yeah, but it was fun getting to play with them for sure. Did they beat you guys? Um, yes. So, ah. so it was Dixon, and then probably the 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 best guy out of their league, and like okay. Dixon set it up where they played me and Chris like first. Okay. Round. And like I, they one thousand percent wanted to beat us eleven zero. They wanted to skunk us, but I think yeah. it was like eleven three or eleven four. So we didn't get skunked. We didn't yeah. get skunked. That's good. At least you were able to hold them off. Uh, pickleball is low-key pretty fun. I haven't played pickleball in a hot minute, but I've been telling my girlfriend that I want to get into pickleball and I want to pick me up a little set because uh, it, it does. It looks a lot of fun on the Instagram and uh, when I'm hearing about it. Dude, it's a blast. It's so much fun. I keep, I've been telling people for weeks, I'm like, dude, pickleball is way more fun than disc golf. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. Probably – less moving around probably the steps won't be as high because it's in a much more concise area because it's like it's, half of a tennis court right uh yeah yeah, yeah. it's the lengthwise width width wise it's like a little smaller um okay. but it, it's more moving than you think it's like good cardio you it's, get your sweat on it's, oh yeah it's a workout oh yeah sure. but let's talk a little bit about ddo you know i'm always interested because me and quentin we're here from kansas we weren't able to make it up this year, and last year we weren't able to make it out there. But tell me a little bit about, you know, what DDO is like on the tour. You know, what that course is like for everyone, the expectations, and like just what kind of that tournament, what, what the vibe is for that, for everyone on tour. That tournament is, it's, it's not really a tournament. It's like an experience. You know, like you're, you're in this little tiny town, you know, I don't know how many people live in Emporia, but I feel like it's in the hundreds <laughs> and like everyone knows what disc golf is like everywhere you yeah. go, there are signs up, welcome disc golfers, welcome disc golfers. Like you go into restaurants and if they have TVs, they're playing the tournament. 
It's just nuts, man. It's just like you yeah. feel like you are in a like disc golf heaven sort of. Um, and and I, honestly, my or obviously my sponsor is Dynamic Disc, so like I love being there. Get to be with my DD family. Like get to we got I got to check out the new warehouse, which you know they're they've just they're working on moving into. They're kind of moved into, but still working on. And it's like three and a half times bigger than the old one. It's just crazy. You know, it's just insane. Like getting to see how big it is and how how much the sport is growing and then seeing the fans come out this year. I mean, it was nuts. It looked like a world championships. It really did. It was just, it's bizarre. You can't go anywhere without being recognized kind of like it's, it, it's fun, yeah. but also kind of like, wow, this is, this is kind of nuts too. Um, and I feel like, I don't know. So the courses aren't my favorite, you know, they're open, they're windy. It's Kansas, you know, yeah. what are you going to do about it? But, the 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 vibe and the experience and like the the feeling of being at this tournament is like it's up there with with the best of the year for sure yeah it definitely outside of i'm gonna say ledgestone i feel like there's not any other tournament that's super big on like marketing the event to the public um because i feel like ledgestone does a really good job they've literally got players who you know market it and sell discs and all that stuff Mm -hmm. so they're fine but like ddo truly is an experience and we hopefully will be able to be there next year um and fans i think also at jonesboro fans were back for that event as well so like any kind of like emotional boost just having the fans there you know you talked about how it's a small little town definitely drove by a bunch of smaller towns on my way today um going by emporia but like everyone there loves disc golf and you know you were talking about how you were getting recognized like does that give you a massive morale boost compared to other tournaments where it's like oh yeah you know there's just some tournament guy i can't go to the park today because there's some disc golf thing going on yeah so at jonesboro they were they were there but they weren't allowed on the entire course like they had Mm. roped off areas where they could be um but yeah they were all there on hole one at Jonesboro and that was just like we hadn't felt that in a long time you know long time since probably Waco round one and last year um and Mm -hmm. uh round two uh I I threw roller off the tee I was playing on Philo um trying to think of the rest of my card but I go roller on a whole one at Jonesboro and I freaking nailed it goes up the hill circles the pin dude and the crowd just goes nuts and like they're I mean we haven't felt that feeling in a long time and it was just so cool and like the, the crowd went crazy and that was just like, yeah, that, that, there's definitely a boost to that. And like, you feel the the energy when you throw a good shot. So it's, yeah. it's definitely awesome to have him back. Yeah. You know, you saw that a little bit with Ricky, you know, and his, his situation with his family. Um, and I think it was, it was, you could see Ricky, like with the fans back, he had some amazing, amazing shots that weekend mm-hmm. and just like, with the like some of the shots that he made like that backing and like having the fans behind him watching that i feel like that was really good for him and you could see like how happy he was you know out there playing and just being able to do what he loved even though you know what what he was going through and so i think that shows just how much power you know that those fans bring to the game yeah um you know i'm pretty sure by hole 16 it was decided like Paul would have to do something horrible not to win, you know, at the yeah. end of that round. But Ricky steps up to that drop zone putt, man, and and he drains it. And like, I'm, I guarantee, you know, with with everything that happened with him, you know, I'm sure he he was having a lot of emotions. But 
that 20 seconds it took him to run yeah. to the, the basket and get his disc, guarantee he wasn't thinking about it. You know, he was on yeah. cloud nine. I'm sure that was awesome for him. So, yeah, that's awesome. That was one hell of a throw in. Um, he had a great tournament and yeah, it was just so, so fun having the fans back. Hopefully more tournaments tournaments will allow uh, fans to just be back and we can get a little bit back to normalcy. So yeah. something I also would love to talk to you today about Zach um, is dialing in that accuracy. So I was reading on the dynamic discs website, your team profile page, and it says that, you know, worrying more about that accuracy is important because the distance will come, but you know, and, and this is kind of true, you know, you can throw 500 feet, but if it's 500 feet in the wrong direction and out of bounds, did you re- does it really even matter in the first place? So I'd right. love to get into a little bit of a discussion of dialing in that accuracy. So I guess, you know, what are some things that you're thinking about when you step up to the T and you're, you know, going to do that first drive, you know, what is going through your head when you're thinking about an accurate shot what, what what are you thinking about um you know okay so like unless you're playing on the pro tour you know and and your your goal is to be like a professional disc golfer and play the the hardest courses in the the country which is what we play more often than not you're playing holes like 350 and shorter you know if, if we're just talking in mm-hmm. general you know most courses are shorter so yeah. like trying to throw hard and throw far is great but like if you're wanting to do well at your tournaments and whatever division you're playing in, like throwing accurately and shorter, like that's going to, that's going to help you out. You know, like you need distance going against the best, but you don't really have to have distance to, to just go out and play disc golf. Um, so that's kind of where that, that, uh, that quote came from that mindset. It's, it's uh, the guy who runs our local club, Tim Barr. Um, he's been, he's just a Tennessee legend. He's hosted a couple majors here. Like he's a man and, and he's still competitive playing pro and he throws maybe 350 but he throws it where one where he wants it and he makes his putts most of the time so like you know that just kind of proves you know distance isn't just the most important thing um but when it comes to like you know stepping up to a shot i feel like most people i don't think they put a lot of thought into like okay what's the higher percentage throw to get the result that i want more often than not right like if a shot is a big power sidearm throw but you may not have that in your wheelhouse. Like why go to that? You know, like why force that? You know, if you're, if that's not really your thing, throw a backhand turnover that gives you a 40 footer, but it gives you that 40 footer every time. Maybe you make that putt one or two, three times out of 10, you know, maybe you throw the sidearm and you park it once, but then you like roll your wrist over and you throw it OB like three other, you know, it's just kind of putting a little thought into like the percentages of what can I do more often than not. And so, you know, some people, like you said, that sidearm is in their wheelhouse. And so they become comfortable and they want to improve that, that accurate shot. So they quit using that sidearm. Would you say it's necessarily bad, you know, t- if you're just a casual player to not have an amazing sidearm as good as your, you know, backhand? I mean, I feel like it's always good to keep working, you know, and keep like when I go out and play casual rounds, like throw them both, you know, throw them, yeah. throw them both, putt from them both. Like that, that's the only way you're going to get better is reps, you know, and, and putting a little time into it. But I don't think it has to be like a necessity. I mean, I think if you're trying to to move up the ranks, like if you look in the professional disc golf, like almost everyone has a sidearm now, you yeah. know, everyone's got both. So that's, it's kind of become a necessity on the highest level. 
but yeah, like, like you're talking about, I mean, if you just go out and you're just throwing Frisbees for fun, like it's just, you know, do what you got and like have fun doing it. And I know the simple answer to my question I'm about to say is do more reps, throw more and you, you'll figure it out. But like, is there any way to, let's say you're looking at a 300 foot hole and the play is a backhand, a righty backhand, uh, hyzer, right. Or, you know, mm-hmm. even a lefty backhand, high, whatever you're doing, you're just going with a straight, simple hyzer. Right. So like, is there any way to kind of, I guess, give like a mental indication of like, okay, if I'm going to throw this on a hyzer, I need to aim 60 feet to the right or 60 feet to the left. Like, is there anything that you're thinking about when it comes to that? Or is it just really down to getting those reps in understanding what your disc is going to do? And through that understanding of what your disc is going to do, you're going to be able to dial in more where you should be aiming to let the disc finish. Yeah, I think like best case scenario, you know how your discs fly and how they all fly on different angles. So like, you know, this 300 foot hole you're talking about, like when you step up, I feel like you, you want to be knowing is it is was it a mid range on a hyzer or is it like an overstable fairway type firebird type disc that you, it's almost like a flat stall hyzer that you hit out flat and then just let it dump like, you know, because there's there's all kinds of different shots. So it's really just kind of understanding and knowing how your discs fly for you or what's the, what's, what's the best case that you can get to that hole. You know, like, um, like for me, when I first started playing, learning to play in the woods, I threw straight shots a lot. I threw straight putters, straight mids. And then I hit the road and I started touring and it's like, wow, there's not much woods out here until you come back to the East coast. Right. So I had to learn how to play like the hyzer game. You know, like going to Arizona, you got to, you want to throw a hyzer. You have to, you know, realize that when your disc hits the ground, you're going to get 34, 30 more feet of skip play than you're used to. So it's like, okay, throw a hyzer, put it out wide. Okay. Now aim like 30 more feet wider. That way you get the skip, the skip, and then the roll. And so it's just, it's kind of just learning that as you go and, and kind of understanding how different places play. What is, you know, you said you played a lot of, in the woods, Tennessee, straight shots. What do you think helped you out the most learning or figuring out those straight shots? Learning to throw a putter. Okay. Absolutely learning to throw putters. Putters, when you throw poorly, they flutter, they flip, they look, it looks bad. You know, when you miss with a putter, you really miss and it shows your flaws. So like learning to be able to throw a putter, I feel like if you can throw a putter and control it, different angles, you can throw anything really. When you're throwing that putter, do you recommend um, something that's pretty neutral? So, for example, I just started to throw a West Side Crown, which I think is like a three four zero one. Mm-hmm. Um, would you recommend something like that, or would you maybe try to go to something more like a harp that's overstable, um, more of an approach than a putt kind of disc? I like I like the neutral. I like the neutral straighter disc. Um, like taking a disc like that and being able to teach yourself how to throw it on turn on hyzer straight. Like, I think that's very valuable. You know, you're not just learning one throw, which is hard Mm -hmm. and let it fade. You're, you're learning all three different shots. What about the grip on the putter? Are you doing the same as you would a driver or do you change it up a little bit? Um, so I do power grip putters when I'm throwing them harder, but I also learned a fan grip to go with it for those, 200 sub 200 foot shots because i think having a fan grip just gives you a little bit more control and there's not as much spin you're not having to throw as hard so and and if you only power grip all the time then 
for a 150 foot upshot, you're going to have to like baby it and kind of change speeds and like, you know, overthink it. So I think learning, I mean, I know some guys that just throw everything with a power grip, you know, or modified power or fan grip or whatever. So, uh, you know, I think it's good to have both. Um, I'm pretty sure Schustrick, he had a quote back in the day that he, he felt like his game really took off when he taught himself a fan grip and, and got better yeah. with kind of controlling stuff. I, I'm pretty sure I remember reading that somewhere. It's like he could throw far and he could crush, but then he like made himself learn a fan grip and just added that little bit of control and it benefited him a long way. For those who might not be exactly sure what a fan grip is, could you maybe explain like what a fan grip is and maybe how it's a little bit different than a power grip? Um, so power grip is, is going to be all four fingers kind of like tucked into the rim. Um, and I know I, I've played with a lot of guys and, and I, I ask questions. Like I'm pretty sure Michael Johansson tucks this finger and then these three fan on the bottom of the disc. So a fan grip is going to be where – you're not just gripping all fingers into the rim. Um, there's a bunch of different ones. I kind of do one where I tuck my pointer finger and my pinky finger, and then the middle and the ring kind of fan out. Um, I've heard that called a modified fan. I've also heard it called a modified power. You know, everybody's got a million names for stuff, but basically that fan grip is where you're, you're getting some fingers out on the, the bottom of the flight plate, you know, and getting a little bit more feel and coverage on the disc. That just a little bit to make sure the disc comes out easier, a little more smooth on the release as opposed to the power grip. You're putting more power into it, so it's going to come out regardless. Yeah, I think it just gives a little more control. You've got, you got a little more coverage holding onto the disc, and it's not just ripping off four fingers and generating a lot of spin. A little bit slower generally. And then I guess another question I have is, let's say, you know, you're in the woods, you're trying to throw that really straight shot. You don't have a whole lot of wiggle room. I know sometimes when you're driving, you could kind of fall off to the right, if that makes sense. And your disc and, you know, your disc will kind of trail to the right a little bit, or, mm-hmm. you know, you can really throw that extreme hyzer. And so like, is there anything, I guess, with your body um, that would help? throwing that straight shot like maybe doing uh like i don't want to say less but like a smaller x step to maybe try to point your body in a straighter direction is that kind of the key to throwing a straight shot or what do you think i think when you're throwing in the woods um like i think it's easier to hit a gap if you take an understable disc and you're throwing with hyzer kind of into the gap and let the disc work for you versus Mm -hmm. trying to throw a neutral disc flat and then just hit it perfectly and have it perfectly go down the tunnel. Right. I think it's generally easier for more people to just throw on a hyzer angle. So like if you're, if you're trying to learn to throw better in the woods and hitting gaps, I would suggest taking a more understable disc and trying to hyzer flip into the shot. That seems, it, it just seems to be easier to hit than that perfect flat throw every time. Cool. Did you, so playing in Tennessee, you know, we talk a lot about, um, you know, shape or shaping lines. Did you learn that, you know, tell us a little bit about that, how you, people learn their bags, learn their discs, but playing in the woods, I feel like it's a little bit different learning to shape, shape lines in the woods. How did you, how did you go about that? Um, <clears throat> so like that time when I was, 
pretty quickly became like one of the better advanced players and then was kind of playing pro locally, like regionally, and then kind of stepping into pro. We had some really good players here in East Tennessee. Uh, Tim Barr that I mentioned uh, has been a great player for a long time. Tim Alston and Jason Light were the two like really good pros here. Um, Jason Light was sponsored by Innova back in the day. He's been sponsored by Prodigy. Like I think he's sponsored by Infinite now. Just a really good player. Both of them used to play a lot and tour a little bit back in like the early 2000s. So like really good players. And they would just kick my butt here in East Tennessee because they could throw putters and they could throw mids, you know. And so I think for me, the better, the, the better I got at learning to control the slower discs, the better I got at playing in the woods and the better I got at, at keeping up with those guys. But definitely watching them shape the woods with like understable putters, like beat up putters, beat up mids. Um, you know, that was just wild to watch. Cause I've kind of always had a sidearm from the beginning. So like, I never really had to work on throwing understable stuff to go left. Cause I always had that flick, but it's definitely a different shot. The flippy back in compared to an overstable sidearm. Yeah. Well, I think this has been a fantastic discussion. I feel as though we could literally go all night about this, but let's, let's jump into the ACE round. Horatio, okay, okay. why don't you go ahead and explain for any of the new listeners out there what the ACE round is and go ahead and start us off with the first question. Okay. Yeah. So you're taking a buddy out to, you know, to buy their first set of discs. They've played with you for a while. And you know, let's just say it's Tennessee, you know, a lot of wooded courses. What one putter, mid and driver would you recommend to them? Uh, are they pretty new? Are they like a newbie? Yeah, they've played a couple rounds. They're hooked and they want to learn. Okay. Um, putter, we're going to go with the Deputy by Dynamic Disc. Very understable putter. So it'll be good for putting, but also be able to throw. Mid-range, we just had a disc come out called the Bounty last year. And it's basically like a super flat Comet. That's what it reminds me of. Um, understable mid, lots of glide. And then f- driver, I would have to say the Maverick obviously because that's my disc so i better better have him throw a maverick but uh <laughs> no that's a uh like that seven speed understable fairway so it'd be good too understable is good for newbies yeah yeah definitely a big fan of that maverick for sure the second oh, let's go question that well okay side note okay i guess i'm getting right. into it Uh-oh. the the maverick was the first disc i ever hit an ace with um oh, so wow. got a special place in the heart with that that disc officially has been retired my girlfriend threw it for a little bit she was mm-hmm. doing pretty good with it and then it just somehow came out of her bag one day and i said all right probably time i'd go ahead and retire that disc put it in with the collection um but yeah lo- absolutely love the maverick i'm a awesome. big fan big fan so the second question we have for you guys favorite course you have played or one course you would love to play okay favorite course i have played um i have been to i've played uh oh man what's it called i played european masters um yarva wow couldn't think of it yarva is incredible and i know i think they almost lost it or we're trying to keep from losing it over there um but imagine like just the most awesome disc golf course taking care of like a ball golf course it's got Mm. par fours par threes wooded open it's got everything it's incredible is is that the beast? Um, no, the beast no. is in fin- Nokia, Finland. Okay. Um, Yarva is in uh, Sweden. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Stockholm. Yeah, that... Stockholm. If I'm not wrong, I think I'm right. But that's yeah. It sounds really nice. A lot of people have talked about that one. I think. All right. Question number three: the number one tip you would give to yourself just starting out 
in your disc golf journey? Um, it's okay to play for par. You don't have to try to birdie every single hole. You know what I mean? You don't. <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, it's okay to just throw it down the fairway and chip up. It's all good. That's actually when I when I made a step from being like a, a local newer am to like getting becoming a better am. I got better at upshots and just throwing it under the basket, getting stress free pars and and getting out. Yeah. So it's yeah. okay to play for par. I think that's a very good piece of advice. One we have not heard yet. I really like that one. The fourth question we have for you, what is your favorite memory playing disc golf? Mm. I think playing on lead card at USDGC. I got to play play on lead card with Nate Doss, who is a a disc golf hero of mine for sure. Someone I've looked up to. I've got to play a handful of rounds with him. Just awesome professional guy, but – yeah, so that lead card round, he had a really rough go of it, right? I think he might have been leading, but he just had a tough round. And just watching the way he carried himself and the professionalism he, he yeah. showed, um, that just really set the bar. It's like even when – I've, I've kind of always said, like, you learn more about people when they struggle than when they're playing good. Everybody's happy when they play good. So yeah. seeing him handle himself that way and, and getting that experience of playing in front of the people at Winthrop, definitely, definitely one to cherish. Yeah, I've watched some tapes of Nate Doss uh, playing, and that that guy is very technical. I feel like that's the word that comes to mind. He's very – he keeps his composure and sticks to his game plan. It's mm-hmm. very, very interesting, very fun to watch him play, for yeah. sure. All right, the last question we got here for you is, what is the biggest mistake you see new players make? Um, throwing speed 13, 14 discs as like the fifth disc they've ever bought, you know, which I feel like in general, all disc golf companies market the big, new, bad, fast disc. Everyone does it. And that's what they push because that's what they want people to buy and people buy it and they're just not ready for it. So I think throwing discs that are too fast for their, their arm speed early on. Yeah, that has definitely been a hot answer as of late. I want to say that might be our third out of our last like four interviews or something like Dang. that that has had that that answer. It could be a clean sweep. I'd have to go I'm, back and listen again. I'm such a copycat, dude. It's <laughs> embarrassing. I guess. But hey, that's the hot answer. This was a hot episode, Zach. I had a ton of fun. Hopefully you did as well. Um, for everyone listening at home, hopefully you enjoyed this episode as well. Zach, before we get out of here, where can the people follow you at? Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, if you have any of those. Nice and yeah, MySpace, if, MySpace, if you're still yeah. on that, Pinterest. <laughs> uh, disc Golf Pinterest is popping, apparently. Um, I did and not know that. Wow. Any any sponsors or any thanks you want to get before we get out of here? Uh, yeah, I'm on Facebook, Zach Melton. Um, Instagram, ZMelton38631. And then I think ZachMelton87 on Twitter. I'm on all three of those quite a bit, kind of talking and chatting with people. Um, yeah, my sponsors, Dynamic Discs, they've been amazing. Um Throw More Disc Golf Store and TriFi Disc Golf are the two stores that kind of I represent that have just been huge helping me out. Um, Whale Sacks, Tina, got to give her a shout out. She's amazing. Um, and then a couple new ones for this year, Dope Discs. I, he dies disc, puts out some fris- pretty frisbees. I've been throwing those. And uh, Entangled Biome uh, out from Oregon with uh, natural products, just helping me feel good on the course. So got to give those guys some love. You need a sponsor for your beard, I feel Dude, like. Dude, for real. Hook ben, it up. Ha- ben had a barbershop sponsor. 
He yeah. would, dude. He would. He's, <laughs> he's so pretty. He would. <laughs> yeah, prettiest disc golfer on tour. You got to get one for the beard. Yeah. Cool, man. Like well, that. thank you so much for your time. You know, I know it's late out there. We really appreciate you. You know, you guys have a busy schedule. Anytime you take out of your your day, we really appreciate it. Best of luck to you in the rest of the season, and you know, hope to see you on Leap Curve soon. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the love. Thank you for listening to the Chain Clankers podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Chain Clankers and hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to us from so you never miss another episode.